You're listening to Pastor Mike Greiner of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled, Trusting the One Who Swears by Himself, recorded on May 5th, 2019. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Mike as he preaches. Um, so we're in 1 Samuel chapter 27, which you just you heard read. We're getting close to the end of 1 Samuel, and, and really the end of Saul is, is near, and the end of David's troubles are very near. Now this chapter is kind of strange. Uh, David goes to live among his enemies. This is the same king he went several chapters ago and acted crazy, right? And in, in case you didn't catch what his trick is, Um, he said, oh, king, I'm not going to bother you. Give me this little village of Ziklag. And from there, he operates raids on on little pockets of enemies of Israel. And he wipes out whole villages of of enemies and takes their food and their stuff, and his guys live on that. But then he goes back and tells the king that he's attacking Jews. So the king's like, I love this guy. So um, that's all that really happens in the chapter. What I want to focus on is just the first verse, and why did David go? Verse 1, Then David said in his heart, Now shall, I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will despair of seeing me any longer within the border of Israel, and I shall escape out of his hands. Now, this... Is David's, he's having a weak moment. Going to, the, going to the enemy of the Jews does not seem like a wise idea, but his reason for it is he says, Saul's going to get me. But God has promised him that he would not die by Saul's hands. And he's, he's putting himself in a position where, if it wasn't for the sovereignty of God, as we'll see as we read the next chapters, he would actually be at war with Israel it's, itself because he's going to become the bodyguard for the Philistine king. Why, David, God has delivered you over and over and over again. He told you, go to, Judea, go to Judah, stay there. Why are you getting weak now? Right after God delivered him, in the last chapter, they stole Saul's spear in his water bucket, and Saul said, I'm never going to chase you again. And as it turns out, Saul never would chase him again. David doesn't believe that. And he says, I'm going to end up dead by this guy. I don't know how long he's going to chase me. I better go hide with the Philistines. David should have trusted God at that point and stayed in Judah. That was his job. But his faith, which is normally impressive, something we can copy, is weak at this point. So the main point of this sermon is right here. In response to David's faith, God remained faithful. David's faith was weak, God's faith was strong. So God responded to his weakness by remaining faithful to him and taking care of him, as we're going to see in the chapters to come. Even among the Philistines, God protected him. That was the worst place to go. Those are your enemies, your mortal enemies. Um, God is going to deliver him from all kinds of trials in the next two chapters. I've said, and I'll say it again, if anyone from Netflix would simply make... First uh, Samuel, they have a different chapter every week. You got you got like thirty one great episodes here. It's nothing but excitement. And the next the next two chapters won't uh, 
they, they won't disappoint us either. But what I want to ask is why didn't David trust the promise of God and why did God remain faithful to him? I mean, God ditched Saul when Saul was unfaithful. Why doesn't he ditch David when David's unfaithful? What's, what's the difference? God promised him, you're going to be fine. He sent Jonathan to remind him, God says you're going to be fine. He delivers them left and right. Well, God makes really two kinds of promises that we see in the Old Testament. Um, and they're conditional and they're unconditional. In other words, he'll cut deals with his people. You do this, I do that. You don't do this, I don't do that. That's conditional. Uh, and then he makes some that are, I'm just going to do this. I'm just going to do this. And that's unconditional. Um, in both cases, God always keeps his word. If he says he's going to do it, he does it. God never is, he's not the dad who says, I'm going to take you for ice cream on Saturday and then doesn't show up. You're going for ice cream if he says. Now, as far as conditional, you think of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden and, and that's apparently a nice place to be. Everything's pretty safe. The animals don't eat you. You can eat all the plants. They taste good. I really believe the fruit had to taste like steak and stuff because I don't think God would punish his people making them eat a bunch of vegetables unless the vegetables actually taste like meat and ice cream. That's my own personal thought. But he said, don't eat the fruit from the one tree in the day you do. I promise you, you can stay here forever, but if you eat that, you're gonna die. And he kept his promise. <laughs> They ate it. He said, I told you, you're out and you're going to die. Israel, uh, as a nation, was promised, you can stay on this land, on this land that I'm giving you, as long as you don't serve other gods. And if you get through the whole Old Testament, you'll see it's a story of a people who is continually wanting to serve other gods until eventually God said, okay, I'm going to bring the Assyrians and the Babylonians, and you people were spreading to the nations of the world. As you heard Mark say, they're coming back now. But that's only because of a promise of faithfulness that God made unconditionally. That's a whole other subject. The fact is, he made a conditional promise. You want to stay on the land? You want to prosper? You don't want your enemies to kill you? Then you have got to serve only one God. And it's very interesting to note historically that since the Jews were removed from the land, they have never again worshipped and served, at least in a unified way, other gods. Doesn't mean they're all faithful people, but they are very monotheistic, Jews are. So God keeps his conditional promises. He also keeps his unconditional ones. Can I give you the most important unconditional promise in the Bible? Genesis 12, 1 to 3. The most important unconditional promise in the Bible. The Lord said to Abram, who's going to be named Abraham? who's going to be the father of all the Jews. He says, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to a land I'll show you. That's not the promise part, and that's not a condition. He's just saying, go. Abraham says, okay, I'll go. What's going to happen? Here's the promise. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you, and I'll make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. What's the condition? No condition. I'm just going to do this. I'm going to take you, Abraham, and there's going to be a lot of people coming from you. And people, I'll, I'll stand by your side. And every people group, every tribe of, uh, on the earth 
is going to receive a blessing. And by blessed, that means God is smiling on them in some way. Every nation of the earth will be smiled upon by God because of you, in you. Why is that the most important unconditional promise? Because Jesus. <laughs> because Jesus. It's a question in church. The answer is always Jesus. Unless it's a number, then it's 3, 7, 12, or 40. But if it's word-based, the answer is Jesus. Jesus comes from Abraham. Jesus is a child of, of the tribe of Judah who comes from Jacob, who comes from Isaac, who comes from Abraham. And when Jesus died, he, did, he died for Israel first because he's a Jew but he also died for the rest of the world. In another place, God tells Abraham, I've sworn this by myself. I think that, why would you swear something by yourself? Like, when you're a little kid, all little kids, well, I should say little boys, I don't know about little girls, I wasn't one. Um, and and um, I'm not gonna become one, no matter what modern people say. Um, Little boys always swear. And I don't know why we do it. It just comes out. By, I don't mean cuss, because we do that too, but um, little boys, we, we, we really try to convince one another to believe us. I guess we always think we're, we're lying to each other. So we always say, I swear. And then we come up with all kinds of swears. I swear to God, we'll say. Or I'll, you know, I'll swear on my mother's grave. Cross my heart, hope to die. Stick a needle in my eye. Which is insane. <laughs> You're not sticking a needle in my eye. I don't care if I lied to you. <laughs> but in Genesis, I think it's 22, God says to Abraham, I swear by myself. God says, I swear to God. <laughs> he really does. Well, the Hebrews writer tells us why. He says because there's nothing greater by which he can swear by, and if God swears by himself, there's no way that it can't happen. We have already learned as a church that if God says something, it has to be. If God says, let there be light, there has to be light. There can't not be light if God says it. So if God says, I am going to bless all nations through you, Abraham, I swear it by me, it's gonna happen. There was no stopping Jesus. Herod couldn't stop Jesus. Pilate couldn't stop Jesus. Satan couldn't stop Jesus. God said, I swear by me. So for our maps, I think this is the only other map point we have today. The promise of, to Abraham is the most important promise in the history of the world because on it hangs the salvation of mankind. Mankind lost in sin and in need of a savior would be given one. Jesus Christ, the righteous one, would die for sinners, bringing salvation to all nations. I love the songs we sang today here in Catanning, I don't know what you sang in Indiana or PVC, but my guess is they're along the same lines because all we seem to want to sing about is the love of God, Christ who died for us, how he rose again, and how that's such good news. It's just awesome. <laughs> it's always good news. I know this sounds like a weird thing to say, but you can be saved no matter what nation you come from. You might say, since it's 2019, 
that sounds normal. Since you're Americans, it sounds normal because you think of equity. Everybody should be, have the same access. Everyone has an opportunity. But I want you to know it's, it's unique in the human race and it didn't come around until Jesus. Did you know that you cannot read the Quran and, talk, and hear from Allah unless you know the language of Arabic? Because it's not for you. It's only for people who read a certain language. And you got to go certain places. <laughs> you know, and, and, and that's the way it is. Did you know that the Hindus have temples where you have to make pilgrimages to them so you can bow to a monkey? Did you know you can go to Chiang Mai from anywhere in the world so you can walk around these golden statues of a Buddha? And you know, you, you've got all these things in all these religions. And then people say stuff like this. All religions are the same, including Christianity. To which I say, you're not even paying attention. Because all those things I mentioned narrow who can be a part of it. They make it narrow. Even Judaism, apart from Christ, is too narrow. You have people at the Wailing Wall, because the wall is more sacred. Jesus said, those who worship me are going to worship me in spirit. Look, look at what happened after Jesus rose from the dead. He invented something new on the planet, a religion that was not bound by a tribe. That's the new thing. And Christianity remains that way, a religion that does not depend on a government. And though throughout history, Christians have made the mistake of trying to mix the two in certain ways that they shouldn't have, maybe certain ways they should, but it's not dependent on a government. Islam is dependent on a government. Shintoism is never going to get out of Japan. It's dependent on a place and a people. It, Jesus took Judaism and the very first miraculous act after he left the earth was the gospel was preached in, over, in dozens of languages. Think about that. We call that Pentecost. You guys know about that? The tongues of fire came down and people preached great things about God in a bunch of different languages. Why? I just got an got a email from my dad. Some, somebody who's a little messed up in their teaching has sent him an email saying that you have to call Jesus a certain thing because that's what the Hebrews called him. And it wasn't even Yeshua. It was some other weird thing. So she's getting into some weird thing that you have to know some Hebrews to properly worship God and all this. This is stupid. Jesus' first miracle was the gospel was declared in a bunch of languages. What does that show? I swear by myself, says God, I will, all nations will be blessed through you. So the gospel is preached in whatever the Babylonians are speaking, whatever the Syrians are speaking, whatever the Africans and the Egyptians are speaking, and we're saved too. God kept that promise. Jesus is unique. You don't have to be a Jew to be saved. You don't have to know Hebrew. You don't even need a temple. You can get saved anywhere. So Abraham was a man of faith, and God made an unconditional promise to him to do this. David is a man of faith. God is going to make an unconditional promise to him. Later, he's going to tell him, you'll never lack a king on your throne. Both of them were considered men of great faith. Abraham Believe God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. His faith is what was called righteous. 
David is a man after God's own heart. But neither of the men were perfect. Both of them faltered and became weak. And the Bible writes down where they blew it. And I'm not talking about their outright sins. David's going to really blow it in 2 Samuel. That's why we're stopping at the end of 1 Samuel to protect him. Not really. You can read on yourself. But I mean, they just didn't believe God when he told them, Abraham, you're going to have a son. I know, I know. Sarah believes too, right? Yeah, well then, where's the son? I don't know. So Sarah gives them a maidservant, says, try this lady. Strange thing, don't try that at home. But God remained faithful to Abraham. Why didn't he give up on him? God remained faithful to David. Why? Because a critic could say, look, you're saying that Abraham and David are men of faith, but they falter in their faith, and yet he overlooks that. How can that be? Here's your answer, all right? It's a theological answer, but it's a true answer from the scripture. Ready? God gives faith so that a person can be saved. God gives initiating faith, saving faith. You can call it whatever you want so that you can be saved. Salvation doesn't mean, and today when you are saved, the way you're saved now is not by being good. It's by believing that Jesus Christ died for your sins, repenting of them and following him. Right? That's what you got to do. You got to repent and Follow the one you believe in. But the part of that equation that you can't control is believing in him. You can repent, you can choose to follow, but you can't choose to believe. If think about at your own salvation. Do you remember choosing to believe? You, you probably remember choosing Jesus and you have to choose him. But do you remember choosing to believe in him? Of course not. You just did. That's why you chose him. And that's the gift. So salvation doesn't mean that a person will have perfect, unwavering faith in every moment in life. There are some people, Christians who I respect, who have this wrong doctrine of holiness, meaning you can get to the point where you just won't sin. That's just not true. Salvation doesn't mean you're perfect with unwavering faith. God saves faithful people, but faithful people sometimes doubt. I wish it weren't so. I never want to doubt. Do you? How can this be? The answer is the faith that saves is the faith that begins the relationship. Once you know God, you can't not know him. Right? The saving faith, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says, Any who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So the faith that saves believes two things about God. One, that he's great. He's there. He is the one and only God. Jesus is his son and all that the Bible says about him is true. So that he's there. The other half is that he's going to be good to me. And the faith that saves is the faith that introduces you. It's how you... It's, it's you become born again. You, you come into the family of God. You become, oh, behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we should be called the sons of God. And such we are. The very next, We're not just called the sons of God. It says, and such we are. But as many as received him, John 1, 12, to them he gave the right to be called the children of God. That saving faith is when you join the family. And when you join the family, you're in. But just because you met God doesn't mean you know him very well. 
He knows you, but you don't know him very well. You just met. In other words, we, are you with me on this? We choose to follow God, but we don't choose to have saving faith. Saving faith is a change of heart engineered by God. I will take this heart of stone out of you. I will put a human heart in you. There's God acting on you. You cannot make yourself be born. You cannot make yourself be born again. It's not by the will of man, it says in John, but by the will of God that you're born again. That's saving faith. So when I get saved, I meet God. I accept the terms. I'm a sinner. He did all the work. He loves me. I'm trusting him. I repent of my sin. I'm going to follow. Those are the terms. I accept that. Now I'm saved. Am I going to be perfect? Here's, here's the problem with me being perfect. He leaves me with a will, with a volitional way to make choices. And the one thing I'm most familiar with is doing things my way. And now I enter into the educational process of following God. You say, have you ever heard that? Have you ever heard it religiously called an educational process? No, you've heard this word, sanctification. Sometimes big words aren't any good if we can't put them in plain language. Sanctification means God is teaching me how to follow him. That's all it means. Teaching me through trial and error and through his faithfulness. New situations where, yeah, he can be trusted, and yeah, I am weak. Really, those are the only two lessons of sanctification. He can be trusted, I'm weak. And we learn them our whole lives, right? Isn't that it? Some of you have walked with Christ for a while. Can I get an amen on that? It doesn't take much faith to be saved. Uh, Corey Ten Boom said, you don't need a great faith in God, you need faith in a great God. And when it comes to being saved, I'd say she's right. There are things you need great faith for, but being saved isn't one of them. The apostles came up to Jesus and said, increase our faith. And he says, what's wrong with you, silly men? You only need a mustard seed-sized faith. Do you have that? They're like, I think we got that. Okay, you're good. Let me give you a couple examples from the scripture. There's the very familiar Thomas, often called Doubting Thomas. I'm sure he doesn't appreciate that moniker. When he gets to heaven, it, well, whoever started that, probably he punched when he got to heaven. I don't know, some guy. First guy said, Doubting Thomas. He goes, hello, I'm Thomas. Oh, you're doubting, poof! Don't say that. <laughs> or not. That could be wrong. I could be wrong. That's speculation. It's not Bible. He believed in Jesus. But did he trust him? He'd have to learn. Love the story from John chapter 11. <laughs> Jesus loved Martha and his sister Lazarus, so when they heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was, and after this, he said to his disciples, let's go to Judea again. The disciples said, Rabbi, the Jews, that means the leaders of the Jews, they're all Jews, were just seeking to stone you. Are you going to go there again? We're all going to get killed if you go there. And Jesus, Jesus actually answers the question, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he doesn't stumble but he sees the light of the world. If anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. He answered the question, look, you're not gonna get hurt as long as I'm here. The time comes when I have to die, but until then, we can go anywhere. You're untouchable. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to waken him. The disciples said, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Jesus spoke of his death. They thought he meant taking a rest. <laughs> 
in sleep. And Jesus said plainly, Lazarus has died, but for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there so that you may believe. But let's go up to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us go that we can die. (laughs) Jesus just said, if we go there, we're going to be fine. And then he says, well, if we're going, I guess we're going to die. This is one of the apostles, the one who probably took the gospel to India. So he has faith. Everyone already knows about, well, many people. If you don't, you'll learn about the other challenge he would have after the resurrection. But what did Jesus do with Thomas? You're as bad as Judas. You're as bad as Saul. Get out of here! It's important that you get this. Because Satan wants to tell you every single time your faith wavers, you're not really saved and God doesn't really want you. Any of you heard that voice before? But if once you've met him, once he's adopted you into the family, he's, he's very committed to his kin. God is. Peter bragged, remember Peter? I'm so courageous and tough that even if these other slobs, the apostles he's talking about, if they won't stand with you, I will. I'll die with you. And the very next thing you know, he runs away, scared, and a servant girl says, aren't you with him? And he is afraid of a servant, what a servant girl thinks. Big, tough, big, tough Peter. Woo! Jesus, come up to Peter. I just got kissed by Judas, and now you, you're out of here. Say, what was the difference between Peter and Judas? Judas never had faith to be saved. It's never part of the family. Peter was. God is faithful. Look, even before Peter's failure, did you ever catch this from Luke chapter 22? Before Peter failed, before he even knew an arrest was coming, Jesus said this to him, Simon, Simon, you big bragger, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Jesus, knowing of Peter's weak faith in advance, had already arranged with his father his restoration. Don't you think he does that with you? For those of you who were here a few weeks ago, do you think it was an accident Abigail showed up to rescue David from being stupid? He already knows in advance when you're going to waver. Look, it's natural for believers to struggle. We're fighting our old nature. All the evidence of our eyes can sometimes convince us of lies. Things aren't going well. I know God said this and God said that, but it's a mess out there. And we can doubt his word. I'm not saying there's room to doubt God or his word. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is when we are faithless, he is faithful to us. That that's not the end of the matter. He will handle it. He will teach us. When Abraham was an old man, he said, Abraham, I want you to take Isaac and sacrifice him to me. Many of you know that story, but even if you don't, you can understand how that would take a lot of faith in God's word to do that. And he did it, and he ended up not having to sacrifice him, but he had the faith as an old man. 
But he didn't have the faith to go into Egypt when he was a young man and trust God. He didn't have the faith before Ishmael was born to trust God. What happened? He learned by following God that he is weak and God is trustworthy. (laughs) That's the journey you and I are on, Christians. Right? This is not permission to be faithless. In fact, it's the opposite. Trust God. He's going to teach you one way or the other. It's easier to learn by obedience (laughs) than by doubting. But... Someone could say, well, the Bible says in Matthew 24, 13, the one who endures to the end will be saved. If I, if I falter, God's going to kick me out. The Bible says the one who endures to the end will be saved, which means the one who endures to the end will be saved. And the opposite's also true. The one who quits before the end won't be saved. And you say, well, I thought he, look, Look, who quit before the end, Judas or Peter? Judas, because he was never saved. He looked like he was. He wasn't. What did Peter do? He was crucified, and he said, don't crucify me because it's, 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 I don't want people to mistake me for Jesus. Turn me upside down. That's a man who finished well. I don't want to finish like that. I'd like to finish in a fiery wreck or something else painless, you know. Just go to sleep, wake up in heaven. If you're saved, you will endure to the end. Now you might say, well, I'm having trouble believing that. Okay, God will teach you. That's part of your sanctification. He'll teach you. He taught me. Why? Because those who God saves, he keeps. The Lord is my shepherd. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Why not? Well, because his Rod and thy staff, they comfort me. They're keeping me on the trail. Because he says he guides my paths in righteousness for his namesake. I don't have to see, will I have a faith for the next trouble ahead? Because God is already up there, and he's going to make sure I don't fall. And if I get weak, I won't be so weak that I fall away. You might say, well, how do I know I have faith to believe him at all? Do you want to know how the easiest way to have, know you have faith to believe in Christ? This is an opinion of mine, experience-based. But I think the easiest way is you answer when he calls you. You answer when he calls. This world is being divided into two groups. And you can see it right in front of you. We are becoming the enemy of the people. And not because we don't love them. We do. Not because we aren't on the side of the liberal, the gay, the atheist. We're on your side. We love you. We're on the side of the drunk, the prostitute, the greedy, the soldier who kills, the abortionist. We're on your side. They don't like us. They don't like us. Do you want to know how you have faith to believe? When you hear that, even though it's uncomfortable, you don't doubt which team you're on. You know, you came when he called. How did he call? I don't know. You heard the gospel and your heart knew. Have you received Jesus as your savior? Have you had a time where you made up your mind, that's it, I'm following Jesus with my whole heart? 
If not, and right now me saying that makes you say, I want to, that's him calling. Now, will you come? Will you come? Many people have come to this church not knowing Jesus and later heard his voice in a sermon from a friend by reading the Bible, and they came. Why not you? Jesus died on a cross as a substitute for you. He was perfect. You're not. He took your sins on his body. He paid for them. You can be forgiven. He rose from the dead, and he offers you eternal life, and when he comes back, he'll raise you up in a new body. Do you believe that? Do you want to follow him now? You can. You're saved by believing and following. And if you are saved, David was less imperfect, but God knew David when he saved him, and he knew that God was good. Some of his best work, some of his best psalms come after he sins. He says, Lord, forgive me according to the abundance of your loving kindness. What a great request. Do not forgive me because, hey, I'm going to try hard from now on. That, maybe have you ever prayed that? Don't pray that. It's not any good. Don't say, God, please forgive me because I'm going to do better. Who cares? Say this. God, forgive me according to the abundance of your loving kindness. How much loving kindness does he have? Only well, can't be measured. Well, I guess he's got enough to forgive me, David said. Well, that's a faithful man. Thomas and Peter endured to the end and God is going to see you through. You will learn this lesson on the way. You are weak, he is strong. I was in uh, seminary, was it? Se- no, I think it was actually at a Campus Crusade for Christ Christmas conference, which is way too many C's for anything. I think it was at that one we went to. This old man got up there. He was like a billion, right? Right? He was going to walk off. You can tell he was so old. His skin was going to fade away. He was going to die that night. No, just kidding. But he was in his 90s, right? And, and he didn't, some guys are spry in their 90s, not this guy. And he had been a missionary or something. So they threw him up in front of all his college, not kids, young college adults. And he said, I've got to learn all this on the mission field and I've done all this. And he says, and I want to tell you the one lesson that I learned that's most important in life. And he said, Jesus loves me, this I know. And he's right. He's right. Little ones to him belong. They are what? He is. That's all sanctification is ever teaching us. That's the only lesson. Can I, by the way, if you want to receive Christ, when I'm done, I'm going to, lead you in a prayer, or your campus pastor will. But I want to speak a blessing to all of you who already know him. And may the Holy Spirit speak to you. This is from Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 and 24. And I ask you before I read it, is your faith weak? Are you wavering and wondering? Renew yourself on the word of God and stop doubting. Cling to the one who will not let you go. Now let me give you this blessing. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it.
I'm going to be there at the end, folks. And I'm not afraid to say it out loud because he got me this far. (laughs) He's going to get me the rest of the way. And a lot of you are going to be standing there with me. So don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of tomorrow. Trust. Let's trust our God. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.